Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Youth Perspective. In today's world of fake news and misinformation, where all social media platforms appear to be afflicted, Cald Youth, with the support of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom, seeks to use this podcast to offer a fresh perspective on the role of youth in addressing current political and social issues. This is the seventh episode in the second season, and I'm very happy to serve as your host today. My name is Marcin Jerzewski, and I am a research fellow at Taiwan Nexion Foundation. To make sure that you never miss the latest episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. The topic of today's perspective is innovation. What an apt topic to explore in the digital age, where the only constant seems to be constant change. Innovation is a process of breakthrough over and over and over again. So how can we introduce and commit to innovation within the context of political structures that have been around for so long? And how do we introduce a concept of breakthrough and renewal into political structures to make sure that they become more effective, inclusive, and resilient. Last but not least, if innovation is the future, how do we inject it into political institutions that have been around for hundreds of years? To explore these pressing questions, I'm very pleased to introduce our uh, two guests today, both representing the Global Innovation Hub of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom, based here in uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, first and foremost, Anna Mori. Uh, welcome, Anna. Anna heads the Global Innovation Hub of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom. Prior to joining the Friedrich Naumann Foundation, she pursued international cultural and business studies at the University of Passau and politics and society of East Asia at the University of Tübingen. Uh, previously, in her, in her uh, professional pursuits, she worked for the UN Regional Center for Peace and Disarmament in Asia and the Pacific in Bangkok and Kathmandu, and the German Corporation for International Cooperation in Bonn. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for joining our show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're so happy to have you. And then our second guest, uh, Yawei Zhou. Yawei serves as a program manager for the Global Innovation Hub of FNF. Her focus is on discovering ideas for, uh, for innovation for democracy and making the Global Innovation Hub a platform to encourage and ignite innovative democratic initiatives. She holds a master's degree in international relations from the Department of Political Science of the National Taiwan University and has previous work experience with political parties and NGOs. Yahweh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So just to get us started, how about we try to understand what our individual conceptions of innovation are? There are so many ways to operationalize this concept. So just to make sure that we are all on the same page, would you mind sharing a few words about what innovation means to you? Sure. If you don't mind, I'll go first. Um, when I think about innovation, I immediately um, have to think about uh, Albert Einstein, not just because he was born in the same city where I mainly grew up in, in Ulm in southern Germany. And he said this um, very, I think, very useful phrase. He says, a problem can never be solved with the same way of thinking that made the problem appear. <laughs> um, and uh, whenever with all our work that we do, I am very often uh, reminded of this. So what does innovation mean? It means um, a new approach, a new way of thinking. It means new, um, new paths, 
it means um, taking risks, it means um, opening your mind. Mm, and I think ingrained in innovation um, is also uh, the, the, the fact that, you know, you, you try something and it might go wrong. Um, so it has, if you, if you want to be innovative, um, you have to be brave, you have to be creative um, and you have to be uh, smart, I think. Absolutely. Challenging the status quo is no easy feat, but uh, without it, it's, it's difficult to break out of our comfort zone and out of established ways of thinking mm -hmm. and by extension doing things. Yes. Uh, Yahweh, what does innovation mean to you? Um, innovation means to me is uh, the commitment that you, um, you're not neglected, uh, you're not uh, pretending you're not seeing all the problems that you experienced or, or saw in the uh, current political systems or the environment. It means that you really, uh, you really see the problems and you're going to think about something to solve it. And it also means um, you have something, some new ways, uh, new uh, the courage to try new method <clears throat> to deal with the problems. And uh, innovation should not be something uh, uh, only those um, very uh, technology professional can be. Um, use or apply uh, between a different uh, demographic or different disciplines in our society. So it should be not something like uh, falling uh, from the sky or it's something very um, difficult to understand. It should be something that can be invented or encouraging our daily life. I really like that we are already seeing a little bit of a theme here since both of you touched upon the importance of, of being brave, the importance of valiance in, in cultivating innovation. But um, something that I picked up on in, in your definition of innovation, Yahweh, is this connection between innovation and technology. And um, this brings me to my first question that is perhaps a challenge that many innovators um, in many realms encounter, and mainly the culture of, uh, mainly the question of innovation and inclusiveness. How can we ensure that cultures of agility uh, are not exclusionary? Um, I will take uh, what happened in Taiwan as example. So, uh, uh, I think uh, many people uh, know that uh, we have a digital minister, uh, Audrey Tan, and uh, she and her uh, colleagues uh, kept in promoting an idea called uh, social innovation. I like the idea very much because it means uh, innovation should be something to be able to solve the current problems we encounter in the society. And those problems uh, like definitely includes to uh, mitigate the, the gap of uh, a digital gap between different like areas such as country and city, a different generation, and innovation should be able to be applied to solve uh, uh, problems such as uh, gender discriminations, uh, rights for the disabled, and also environmental protections. So uh, it means that the innovations, when it's social, it can be rooted in the society because it has to solve the questions, the problems uh, in our society. So it means you have to um, first uh, knowing where, what was the, what, what are the problems exists and where are the problems and who are the stakeholders of the, these problems. 
So that way you can ensure your innovations can be rooted in your society. It's not something exists in the sky or outer spaces. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's uh, what, uh, what I can um, explain uh, from Taiwan's examples. Yes. And if you don't mind, uh, if I add add on to this, um, I think you, because your question was how to um, make sure that innovation is not um, exclusionary and yeah. agile cu uh, cultures. And um, of course, you're, uh, you're touching on a very important point here because um, the, the topics, innovation and also agility, Agile management is something that came from um, the software development, and that's um, I think also where it's very much rooted. But the point is that innovation is not something that can only happen in the techn technological realm. So it can also happen basically everywhere. Basically, daring to think in a new way is a form of innovation, and I think that opens up a lot of space um, for inclusion. Now. Thinking about the technological part, I think also um, there's there's many different ways that we can um, help ensure that it's not um, exclusionary. So, for example, um, if um, one uses technolo technolo technology or, or apps or um, programs to, to help um, to, to, to foster innovation, there's ways to make sure that they are um, accessible. That would be uh, on a very basic level. It could be make sure that it's not just available for iOS, so uh, people don't have to get get the expensive uh, Apple uh, uh, hardware or, or smartphone, but um, make it make it uh, in a way that it's also available for for cheaper hardware. Uh, second point would be make it uh, open source, so that others uh, can also benefit from what you had made uh, when it comes to an application or a website. And I think there. Taiwan has a lot of really great examples. And thirdly, um, when we talk about technology, um, use use the possibilities that are there. Um, now we are talking um, on, on the phone or, or via, via the internet. So even if I was not able to, to go outside for medical reasons or uh, mental health reasons or whatever, I might still be able to participate without going outside. If I was not be able to see, I could hear, if I couldn't hear, then there might be a sign interpreter. So there's many ways that also technology can help to be uh, more inclusive than the analog world, I would say. Thank you. I think it's very interesting that you bring the concept of social innovation and highlight its importance in Taiwan's idiosyncratic uh, approach to for, uh, fostering innovation within different realms of society. And this is also reflected in Anna's comment, as you as you remind us that innovation does not only happen within within uh, the somewhat hermetic tech world. Um, <laughs> so um, I I was really excited when Calvi extended this invitation to the three of us to. Um, focus to to uh, create a perspective in this podcast series um as we are all uh, affiliated with different institutions based in taiwan and mm -hmm. i do believe that taiwan can be a fantastic case study for other stakeholders in the indo-pacific and beyond to look at as they try to devise their own strategies for uh, for innovation so i was wondering if um either of you would like to comment on some um success stories or or um good examples to follow of how taiwan uh has gone about trying to achieve the unholy trinity in, in fostering innovation, the unholy trinity of representation, participation, and digitization. I want to use the uh, example of Taiwan, uh, the example of uh, joint uh, platforms 
it is a platform established by uh, Taiwan's uh, uh, National Development Council. Um, so the idea is uh, basically uh, everyone, every Taiwanese citizens or even uh, foreign foreigners uh, in Taiwan, if you have something in your mind, you want to propose uh, a policy or propose uh, legislatures, you can go to join platform to submit your proposals. And of course, you have to uh, acquire uh, a fixed number of seconds. So uh, it ensures that the both innovations and uh, making innovation democratic. Because uh, even though your idea probably is very innovative, very new, but if it doesn't meet the principle of democracy and it cannot bring the common goods for the society, uh, so it cannot be adopted as uh, a policy or law. So uh, the joint platform, are they not, uh, not just making a proposed uh, policy proposal easier to the general public. They also establish a very comprehensive system to uh, um, helping those citizens who already got the uh, uh, enough number of seconds and also passing the criteria. Then, uh, if then it will become a uh, proposal. Then the joint platforms uh, and the national development council they will start to asking government official to invite all the stakeholders to organize a discussions uh, to know uh, what's, um, what we should pay attention to, what kinds of uh, advice we need to acquire, uh, what professionals we need to consult it to. And later, if the uh, discussions is successful, then the, the government will accept it as a former policy or uh, the government may not adopt uh, the whole proposal, but they will ask uh, legislators or government official to adopt part of the good, the good part of the proposal. So that way, um, citizens will not think um, it's a waste of time to propose an idea because it's possible that your proposal will be accepted. But at the same time, it creates a very comprehensive system in uh, government. So the public officials, uh, so the, um, because uh, when you work in government, you have many, many existing tasks. So if it's always happened that, that you will feel tired or stressed when somebody prefers something new to you, it's also a kind of pressure to the uh, public servants in government sectors. So I think uh, the importance to create a comprehensive system supporting system to uh, sustain this joint platform is really important because it let the, those public service notes, there's a system uh, supporting this idea. It will not become like uh, one day your boss hear a very uh, innovative idea, then making uh, a proposal just throw it to your desk uh, and a poor, very poor uh, young and public servants in working in the government sectors and she or he has done it all. And if that's how innovation is handled, then you can imagine that you will have strong opposition from the government sector. So I think uh, that's one of the right things that the joint platform does in Taiwan. And uh, also the, um, uh, I remember there were uh, uh, at least 5%, uh, uh, 50% of the proposal who uh, passed the criteria of becoming a proposal 
uh, more than half of them has really been adopted by the government. So it can uh, shows a very uh, positive uh, incentives to the citizens that they know that the uh, make your innovation voice be heard. It's uh, important and it's workable. And the second uh, examples of Taiwan uh, I would like to uh, show is the idea of social innovations. In uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Tan and uh, her colleague, uh, the idea of social innovation can be found in the uh, plans in uh, Ministry of uh, Economics and also in uh, Ministry of Technology. Uh, oh no, um, yes, Ministry of Technology in Taiwan. So. You can see that the, the idea of social innovation is actually included in Taiwan's uh, technology policy and also uh, economic policy plan. So that ensures every time we think about uh, how to make our technology national plan, we will not uh, neglect the aspects, the importance of making it connect with uh, the society and ensure the technology is uh, uh, committed to progressive values in the society, such as gender equality, uh, human rights, or public participation. So uh, that's uh, generally what I want to uh, um, say here. If you don't mind, I would like to just to add some comments because um, we're uh, Nawan Foundation is a liberal foundation and so is the Council of Asian Liberals and Democrats. And just uh, I think um, particularly this approach is super interesting from this liberal perspective, because what um, join as this platform actually does is you harness um, the, the power and the brains, so to say, of um, all these individuals. And um, I understand that the thought of the at the root of this is that uh, even though somebody is not working in government sectors doesn't mean that they can have uh, that they cannot have a good idea and as liberals we believe in the individual and in their power to to you know to to make the world uh, better and to 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 get um, their talents to expression so this um the, this um yeah this innovation actually makes um, use of this and i think in the long term this helps uh, for better governance and for better exchange between go governed and governing um, and i think all of these are really um, important and second of all i think um when I look at the world and the state of democracy, which unfortunately is under threat in, in, in many uh, in many parts, in many countries of the world, then I think this is actually a really good um, example um, to or a good approach that uh, could be taken into consideration to help um, yeah, foster democracy and strengthen it. Uh, thank you very much uh, to, to, to both of you for highlighting this very important nexus of innovation and democracy. And um, I, I, I really like your point about, uh, or, or your call for all of us to, to ensure that innovation remains uh, democratic. I believe that one of the important defining characteristics of democracy is the fact that it's a space where uh, we can see the plurality of voices really, really shine. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
this this plurality of voices is also beneficial for for governance in many ways as it um, widens the horizon of social mm. options and also perspectives of innovation so uh, with with that in mind and and recognizing your uh, insights i was uh, i would like to push a little further on uh, anna's previous point about uh, accessibility of innovative mm. solutions so you talked about how um there are many different ways, either uh, focused on technology or, or outside of the technological realm that help us ensure that innovation remains accessible. But uh, perhaps to, to dig a little bit deeper, I'm wondering how innovation can help um, amplify uh, diverse voices and amplify this plurality of voices, other than just making sure that people from diverse communities are included in the conversation. How do we, how do we uh, make their voices louder? How do we make their voices louder when it comes to innovation? Or perhaps through innovation. How can innovation help amplify voices of people who might mm. otherwise be underrepresented mm. within okay. democratic contexts? Mm. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think um, it's already like the seed of this is already within innovation when we uh, keep in mind that innovation means doing something different, uh, changing something, uh, going in a different direction. And to include uh, more people who have in the previous status quo have been excluded. I think uh, in, in my um, definition of innovation that is um, already included um, there. Now for the for the um, like, not technical part, but then how to do it apart from uh, the philosophical or the ethical part where you say, okay, that's already, that's already um, in there. Um, then I guess it depends um, very much on, on um, well, the project that you're doing and, uh, um, and the modes. I think there's brilliant resources out there at this point in time that um, also help less experienced people um, how to be more inclusive because like, obviously um, if, if, if that's not something that you're used to, then everybody, and uh, I very much also mean myself, we, everybody, everybody has their, their biases, right? We, we grew up in a context, we are used to certain things. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's important to, to acknowledge that. And also then in a second step to challenge that, to make sure like what, what biases do we have in our programming? What biases do we have in our ideas and our approaches? Um, and I think these would be um, to keep that in mind and to be conscious about it and then to act <laughs> against the, the the inherent bias, I think that would be um, a, a good approach outside of the technological part. Yeah, wait, do you have anything to add on this point or should we move on? Uh, I think I think Anna has provided a very comprehensive idea so we can move on. Okay, perfect, thank you. Next, let's uh, perhaps talk a little bit about uh, innovation and uh, deliberative uh, democracy. So um, in, the, in, the, in this time, uh, in, in the digital age defined by uh, constant change, defined by innovation. Um, a lot of people might think that this, this uh, constant process of breakthrough is, is overwhelming. And in the era of, of mis and disinformation, we are also seeing rise in uh, distrust and expert knowledge. So um, this is perhaps a potential challenge or a potential opportunity for, for uh, the nexus of innovation and democracy. I was wondering if you would like to share a few thoughts on whether this distrust and expert knowledge uh, challenges or rather nurtures, nurtures deliberative democracies and the quality of innovation. If you mind, if you don't mind, I go first. I think uh, it includes the seeds of both. 
Um, on the one hand, what we see um, in, in countries, and I would include uh, Germany there, um, this distrust of, of uh, people who think those at the top, uh, that anonymous mass that um, holds power, does whatever they want. Um, and the feeling of, you know, I only get to vote every um, four to six years, depending on which country you're in, um, th that uh, I think can exacerbate um, the problem of people feeling I, I don't have anything to say. Um, and the powerful, whoever they may be, they are just doing what they want. Um, the so-called experts, um, the so-called politicians. Um, and I think a deliberative democracy can uh, be... An antidote to that. So what does deliberative democracy actually entail? I think there's lots of uh, great examples uh, from Taiwan, and I hope that uh, Yahweh can, can talk about that uh, in a little bit. But it also it means that um, people have more opportunities to interact and to um, let uh, the people who are in power, those in power, uh, know what's on their mind and to um, ensure a better communication. So um, and usually um, this, this, this can be very helpful when you realize that the person who is calling themselves an expert uh, is actually a nice person and they have good ideas. Maybe you don't uh, maybe you uh, disagree with this person, but um, talking, be it in the in the face-to-face -face digital form or be it um, in the analog form, also helps make sure that you humanize your, your so to say, um, opponent that you disagree with. And I think in this nexus of distrust and um, very often uh, quite anonymous hate that is uh, spreads on, on uh, well, well-used platforms such as uh, Facebook, I would say, um, one important point there is the dehumanization. You don't, you just have a, a name and you can say what you think you can say, whatever you want. Um, and I think to get to the closer connection is, is, um, a very important part. Uh, Joey, do you have any, uh, examples for, from Taiwan about deliberative democracy? Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, the joint platform, uh, it's a website It's actually developed, uh, by the, uh, through the principle of deliberative democracy. That's how it is designed. So uh, it's, although it's developed as a uh, uh, information technology website, but the spirit still goes with delivery democracy. And also uh, Taiwan has uh, applied the, this way of participation since uh, I think the beginning of 2000 year, uh, beginning of the 2000. And uh, uh, it can be, uh, it is adopted uh, through the very high level uh, national policy, such as uh, transitional justice or energy policy to the very uh, basic level of decisions, such as uh, the budget for uh, your community, uh, your neighbor, uh, the park, just uh, around where you live. So uh, this kind of way can make uh, everybody uh, understand what they're actually discussed about. It's not just uh, because, uh, well, voting can be the very democratic way of deciding things, but it sometimes creates conflict as well. And uh, because, well, the majority takes all, then th there are many, many questions left unsolved. And there are many, many people uh, don't get the idea uh, what the policy they're going to have in the future, sure that the every side of the state, uh, every stakeholders, they got uh, sufficient information, and uh, their voice can be heard through discussions. And through discussion, they can know uh, what are all the people.
people are thinking. What are those people uh, I'm not, perhaps I, uh, they are the people I don't like. They are the people who propose the, the idea that I don't support. But through discussion, I can understand what they're exactly thinking. And I can, um, I, I perhaps I'm still, uh, I, I still don't agree with them, but at least I understand what they're thinking, then the conflicts will not be um, uh, um, extended uh, in future. So uh, first, uh, so through the deliberate democracy, uh, we enhance the understanding of each other. Then uh, we also ensure the decision-making is democratic. So, so the important is uh, when you design uh, your uh, digital uh, apply applications, no matter in government or in enterprises or in the society, you have to make sure it follows the principle of democracy. And uh, why, um, what, why Taiwan can achieve this uh, is because we have a very strong uh, civic tech community who uh, not only uh, have the uh, technology uh, experts, but also being willing to uh, take their responsibility as a citizens, take their responsibility to use technology to facilitate democracy as well. And their spirits of uh, uh, not uh, uh, being uh, belong to any hierarchy, their spirit of decentralized, and that sort of, uh, in some degree, uh, ensure that technology application in Taiwan is very also uh, very decentralized that uh, everybody can use and and learn how to use it by themselves and that's very different approach uh, about uh, digital applications in authoritarian country I got to say I really like what I uh, what I just heard because it seems like both of you are injecting a healthy dose of optimism when discussing uh, innovation. So uh, despite the perils brought about by the perceived sense of anonymity in the digital realm, uh, you still you still talk about innovation as a potential channel for facilitating people-to-people -people connections and, and humanizing the decision-making process going beyond the um, anonymous mass that holds power. I, I, I like the description of, of political <laughs> elites. But uh, speaking of the uh, anonymous mass that holds power, I was wondering if we could uh, chat a little bit about potential challenges that exist at the level of uh, political elites to fostering innovation. So it might be that uh, people who are in power, those who are responsible for putting in place those uh, top-down innovative solutions might themselves be uh, apprehensive about innovation, about digital solutions, about new technologies, about challenging the status quo that mm -hmm. uh, allows them to hold the position that they're in. So um, can you talk a little bit about potential ways to, to, to mitigate those challenges at the level of, of lawmakers, of decision makers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Um, so I think um, there's different uh, different sets of, of challenges that um, could be located there. I think uh, a very important first point is that um, institutions are very slow to change. And the bigger they are, the slower they are. Um, and if an institution feels that a change uh, will um, endanger its existence, <laughs> then they're even more reluctant to um, go with that i think that's just um that's that's a, a little bit like a law of nature that's just something that we have seen for a long time that was that's i would say that's one set of challenges the second set of challenges i would say uh, lies in the area of decision makers 
um, because if you well if you make a decision you have to uh, in, in, in this direction you have to understand what it's what, what is happening and also why it would be beneficial uh, and if it's um, if it if it is the case that the person who is um, heading an organization, just as an example, and maybe this person um, is not very um, well versed in the technological realm. That's not something they're um, used to. Um, and I, understandably that might um, create some friction or resistance that they would prefer uh, the system as it is, as opposed to, to changes. Um, then thirdly, um, talking about particularly governments, <laughs> Um, very often there's very strict rules. Some of them uh, have really good uh, reasons. I would cite security, uh, but, uh, but also um, issues of procurement. But again, also this can make uh, things very slow. So it's very easy um, if you want to stop <laughs> some sort of uh, innovation or change because um, there's many, many um, yeah, different steps. So how to mitigate that, I think, <laughs> As with almost all the problems, I think knowledge and understanding is, is key. So um, decision makers, uh, it, we have to make sure that they can understand the challenges, but also the benefits uh, of innovation and technology. I liked your comment before that you uh, it made you happy that we are so positive about the possibilities of innovation. Um, yes, I mean, there are big challenges, don't get me wrong, particularly talking about privacy and uh, trollism. These are huge challenges. And um, that's not all technology and the internet is. Um, and I think because uh, also like looking at news stories, good news or no news, I think that's the, the, the old journalists uh, saying. Um, so always negative things are, are being reported in news stories. So if you were neutral <laughs> and uh, just reading uh, the news, then you get a very different set of um, set of information. So. Uh, my approach would be, yes, uh, knowledge and understanding um, to make it more accessible. Um, that would also include to, 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 in general, to make applications or technological apps or, or gadgets, uh, not super complicated that you have to be able to be a developer <laughs> to, to use it, uh, but user-friendly um, and simple. Uh, I think that would be a good first step. Thank you. Yahweh, yeah, do, do you want to add anything on this point? Or? Uh, I very much would like to echo what Anna has said uh, because uh, I want to take an example of uh, the registration of vaccines in Taiwan. Hmm. Well, at the beginning, uh, some of the government officials say think that uh, it's the fastest way is to create the online uh, pre-order platforms. Then everybody can order that uh, vaccinations on, on websites. But uh, it, at the beginning, they, they didn't found that the, for elderly, it's really difficult to register online because they didn't even able to get uh, know where the address web address is and how to uh, like choosing the right buttons on the web page. So at that duration, uh, well, luckily, some of the local governments still uh, find a way, the most traditional but most workable way to an elderly is to deliver uh, flyers to door to door to that elderly knows how to get the vaccinations. And uh, finally, uh, well, the central government uh, start to develop a more uh, convenient and easy to use um, platform to uh, pre-order your vaccinations. And that is a very good uh, way of development. Uh, so, that's the 
very clear case that uh, when uh, a government official think it's very technological way to uh, create a better outcome, but uh, apparently uh, uh, some um, people in the society cannot follow. So I think the most important thing is to make sure when uh, you impose any innovation ideas, make sure no one left behind, make sure mm. everybody um, it's on the sand uh, state as well. And uh, also, well, um, in Taiwan, uh, the government uh, sectors uh, suffer from like more than million times of cyber attacks. Uh, mm. But uh, when, um, when, when government officials or uh, any experts uh, propose we uh, must have like better uh, software uh, to uh, prevent those cyber attack, but I think before that, the most important thing should be uh, providing sufficient and uh, easy to understand education to everybody working in the government. Because uh, if they cannot learn how to protect their themselves, protect their cybersecurity, then they don't know how to protect the data of every one of us when they work in, in government. So uh, I think that's the... I will call it the necessary infrastructure you have to do when uh, you want to uh, push for any innovation, uh, particularly digital innovation idea in government or in society is to make sure everybody knows how to use it and knows the risk behind that. I, I definitely believe that the case of vaccine registration system in Taiwan is a, a really interesting case study for understanding how innovation works in practice. And there are two main takeaways that I would like to highlight. First and foremost, this uh, uh, process of implementing a new registration system highlights some of the challenges that we talked about uh, just, just a few moments earlier, namely the issue of digital divide, which is uh, exacerbated along generational fault lines, the problem of ageism in innovation. And then secondly, I think that uh, Yahweh, you, you um, fantastically highlighted this the necessity or the utility of a multi-tier approach to uh, facilitating innovative solutions and making sure as you as you rightly said that no one is left behind so um just to um sum up what uh, the two of you shared with me the message is crystal clear knowledge and understanding are at the very core of making sure that innovation is embraced by political elites but then my question is who is responsible for that who do we put in charge of, of educating uh, political elites? And I believe that this question is uh, quite important also in the context of our previous conversation about the nexus of innovation and democracy. Given that innovation is often driven by the tech sector, we want to make sure that those uh, that the understanding of innovation is really conducive to, to deepening uh, inclusiveness and, and diversity within a democratic framework, rather than simply serving um, corporate interests or, or, or business interests of players in the tech sector. So once again, who do we put in charge of making sure that political elites know and understand everything about uh, innovation? So I think the learning has to be done by each uh, individual themselves. And the first step to, in order to do that is to understand that there's a problem. Uh, in this case would be uh, insufficient knowledge. 
Um, so I think um, that's where civil society comes in to alert that this is an issue, that there is something to be done. Now, civil society uh, in, a, in a working democracy is a very powerful tool. And again, I'm looking at Taiwan with its very vibrant civil society that has um, a lot of a lot of power and a lot of ideas. So um, I think for this um, alerting and um, putting pressure on government part, um, that's where civil society comes in. But we also, I think, have to just be realistic uh, that it also depends very much on, on, on the country and on systems. And um, basically, <laughs> the sad truth is uh, that um, if, if, if the elites, uh, government officials, um, people uh, in government, they have to decide for themselves that um, this is something that is uh, worthwhile, either because it's external pressure or because um, they realize um, the issue for themselves. Thank you. So to, to kind of build off of this idea of civil society mm -hmm. being a powerful tool and an important stakeholder in, in fostering the understanding of innovation and kind of identifying areas where innovation might be necessary. Mm -hmm. I would like to uh, connect the Taiwanese context uh, on which we're elaborating quite a lot today with um, other uh, with other Asian contexts. So um, to, to, to some of uh, our, our listeners, Currently, one of the flagship foreign policy instruments in in uh, the Taiwanese foreign policy toolbox is the New Southbound Policy, an initiative that was inaugurated in 2016 by President Tsai Ing-wen that aims to uh, foster closer relations between Taiwan and 18 partner countries in South Southeast Asia and uh, Australia and New Zealand. So. Um, Yahweh, if I might put you on the spot here, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, Firstly, uh, the extent to which the new Southbound policy has facilitated the strengthening of civil society ties between Taiwan and the NSP-18. And then secondly, to what extent uh, has it facilitated the transfer of um, approaches to, to innovation between Taiwan and its, and its partners? Um... Well, uh, I uh, I would say uh, the new sounds policy uh, in some degree uh, facilitates Taiwan's understanding to Southeast Asia, and also uh, also brings many opportunity to uh, ignite more uh, social innovation as well. And uh, there were many. Uh, well, um, first of all, uh, new, the new sounds policy also uh, not just in the aspects of trade and culture. It also reminds uh, Taiwanese that it's also important to uh, protect and facilitate the rights of migrant workers in Taiwan because there are many, many migrant workers working in Taiwan. They are from Southeast Asia. So uh, um, uh, I think that the New South policy in some degree uh, uh, reminds the consciousness of migrant protections in Taiwan, and that also uh, inspire a lot of social innovation. Um, for example, uh, there's uh, an, an NGO in Taiwan. Uh, they uh, uh, many of them invent, uh, invented many ways to that the migrant workers community will not be uh, excluded uh, from uh, to get to know what's the newest government policy about a prevention of COVID-19. I know there's an NGO called 140. They invented a uh, Facebook uh, Messenger chatbot that uh, can be, it's already translated into um, many, many uh, Southeast Asia languages and with the help of migrant workers. 
they gathered them all together to provide the translations and uh, develop the messenger bots. Then if people uh, download it, uh, migrant workers, they download it, then they can choose the languages they want to use and uh, they can uh, immediately acquire the most updated uh, government uh, measures uh, against COVID-19. And I think it's, um, it's uh, an opportunity to, it's the exact example of uh, to uh, making the need of the society into the opportunity to bring more social innovation because the, the development of this is spot is obviously a very good, good example. But uh, well, expect for uh, Southeast Asia, I want to pro uh, bring up another case. Uh, it's uh, the, the mask map uh, developed by the uh, civic tech community, such as GovZero in Taiwan. Uh, it is also uh, because they have a very good connection with the open source community and civic tech community in Japan and Korea. And uh, people in Japan and Korea also think that they also need a mask map as well, but their government seems to uh, not to uh, act that fast. So they have an online hackathon with Taiwan's uh, Zero and uh, uh, all the civic tech community, and they exchange each uh, the idea and also the source code as well. So they successfully to uh, use Taiwan's uh, experience to uh, establish uh, the map, map, a mask map in Japan and Korea as well, and also successfully use that to push the government to do more on, on uh, providing uh, sufficient information about where I can get the mask. So I think that's uh, the another example I would like to uh, to bring up. Thank you. Today, during the show, we have already heard about some uh, quite different examples of innovative solutions uh, that uh, have emerged in Taiwan. On the one hand, we have more uh, top-down approaches such as the public digital innovation space and the joint platform under the National Development Council. On the other hand, we have uh, heard about a selection of bottom-up solutions such as the 140 chat box or a cooperation between uh, civic, uh, civic tech communities in uh, Taiwan, Japan, and Korea. So on that note, I would like us to critically interrogate the potential friction uh, between the role of uh, lawmakers and, and once again, political elites and individual citizens in, in fostering innovation. To what extent should innovation be a top-down process rather than a bottom-up process? Or are bottom-up approaches actually more important to fostering inclusive innovation? Um, if I may go first, um, I think both of them have their merits and both of them have their problems. So the solution would be to uh, have both of them in the like uh, arsenal of, of approaches and tools. Bottom-up approaches are uh, very good because um, they, they tend to be most uh, inclusive, sorry, um, because um, as many people can, can, can contribute as the system uh, allows, uh, the, the possibility of also diverse idea is much bigger, just because the population that is potentially able to participate is much bigger and much more diverse than most government agencies usually are. Yeah, usually it's government agencies and decision maker um, that they, they, they consist of highly educated people uh, who have definitely a certain age, um, a certain certain standard of living, and that 
all just excludes a lot of um, experiences. So um, for for from this point of view, bottom up approaches are much better. And um, very often, bottom up approaches or ideas, um, solutions who are bottom up, uh, they then don't make it into um, fruition because um, they never reach uh, people who have the power to do them. Um, they might not feel um, included at this point in time. So they, there's no um, sense of ownership and stakeholdership to push this idea forward. Um, and that's a real issue. This issue is not given if it's a, a top-down approach because the people who have the power to um, make this come true have come up with the idea and uh, you know, naturally they think it's, 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 it's a good idea. Um, and there's ways to, to mitigate um, the problem of, of um, insufficient inclusion uh, if you want to. Uh, that could be um, focus group discussions, that could be um, different um, tools of deliberative democracy, for example. Um, but um, we have to keep in mind that government um, um, or just yeah, any institutions, they also have a certain self-interest. Um, and very often there's also other, um, yeah, play, other interests at play. So that might filter the kind of projects which actually do come out at the end. So um, I see problems and benefits on both sides. And I think it's not, uh, I, I, I cannot say one is the right one and we should cross out the other one. For this reason. So you mentioned several challenges to mm -hmm. the success of bottom-up approaches to mm -hmm. innovation, but uh, how do we go about making sure that those stakeholders who put in place successful bottom-up innovative solutions have an opportunity to scale those up? And the reason why I'm asking this follow-up question is because today in the podcast, one of our objectives is to focus on the role of youth in uh, fostering uh, innovation. So young people might often have a very deep sense of ownership of their initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, however, they might not have the right tools or might not be aware of mm -hmm. uh, right channels to, to, to scale up their projects. How do we, how do we, how do we help them out? Mm -hmm. my, if I go, may go first, my suggestion would be um, form alliances and uh, get stakeholders uh, with uh, quote unquote more power uh, to buy in early. Now, um, that doesn't mean that you have to, to appease um, uh, anyone who has completely the different way uh, idea than you do. Not at all. I mean, you know, there's strength in numbers. So um, organize yourselves. If you're part of a youth organization, that's already helpful. And people might have networks uh, where where they and and channels to approach uh, people who might. Uh, be able to help uh, to bring these projects to fruition. It might also be helpful to, um, to, to cooperate with other organizations who have the same ideas, because very often uh, uh, you know, things that need to be changed, which are um, the, the, the motivation for, for innovation is, is something that has been also noticed by other organizations. So, um, and then um, the, your age doesn't really matter that much. Um, I think it's, yeah, be smart, build coalitions and build alliances. And then I think um, there's definitely ways to, to, to get um, your ideas to be implemented. But also be, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very I'm a positive person and, and um, it's important to me to, to stress that um, age and particularly being young should not be a big uh, barrier. But it's also important to be aware that um, it might be an issue and to think about that and to mitigate that risk by uh, yeah, building smart alliances, I would say.
I very much hope that our listeners can realize the potential of Cloud Youth as a super connector and an organization yeah. that can facilitate the very process of coalition building that Anna has just uh, discussed with us. Yahweh, do you have any thoughts on this point? Um, yes, I want to elaborate more uh, because I, I agree very much about what Anna said about forming an alliances. And uh, uh, well, when you want to do something, uh, please go find that people who have this, uh, similar ideas or not similar idea, uh, maybe had a stand uh, 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 pursuit with you because uh, well, uh, in a, a democratic society, and uh, you you should know that the, um, if you want to form an idea, uh, we have to prevent something like a, a strongman leading style. It's always uh, better to seek for uh, others' opinions. That's it's a kind of way to make your ideas more uh, practical and even more innovative. And uh, uh, the example in Taiwan is just like uh, when uh, when Taiwan, if you young people want to do something, they will propose the idea and form a community of that. Well, such as the uh, very uh, the very uh, strong uh, civic community, uh, civic tech community, they uh, they're a, a group of uh, civic tech uh, participants. They uh, always held a hackathon uh, each month, and everybody can propose their ideas, uh, not just uh, from the technical experts. And if you're a, a democratic uh, advocate, your gender equality advocate, you can um, participate in the hackathon. Then you can gather people with different experts to make your uh, initiative uh, come true. And uh, I, I uh, but uh, well, uh, young people will always worry about their project is doable or not. But my suggestion is to uh, just uh, make a prototype first. Just make uh, a, 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 a an, an example. Uh, it's okay to be not perfect enough because you have to uh, like story to everybody. Then everybody knows what you're going to do. Then they know how to help you in, hmm. uh, when you when you done. And uh, there's a, a saying uh, I remember in the uh, open source community. They say, uh, when you have a, an idea, just uh, propose it early and release it, release it early. It means that uh, if you have an idea, share it with uh, the communities, then more and more people can join you and more and more people can participate in your projects as well. And that will push your uh, projects or initiative forward. And uh, yes, that's what I want to share. Well, time sure does fly when you're having fun. And unfortunately, we are reaching the end of our today's show. But I believe that Yahweh's positive call to action, uh, calling on young people to propose their initiatives early and release them early, is a great place for us to wrap up. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Anna Marty, Yahweh Joe, uh, for sharing your thoughts on innovation and bringing some very interesting case studies from Taiwan to the attention of our very global audience. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Martin. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast episode is organized by Cloud Youth, Taiwan Next Gen Foundation, and with the support of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. See you again on our next episode.